that transparency of like, I don't know all the answers and I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to say the wrong thing. and I'm going to do the wrong thing. Sometimes is okay. You know, you can be successful in spite of that. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscape of wellness and social media. Hey guys! Hey, hey Megan here. So today's guest and I first met in Turks and Caicos at the Beaches Moms Conference, and she just knows how to make all of us look so good. Allie Webb is a mom, New York Times bestselling author, podcast co-host, and co-founder of Squeeze. Oh, and Dry Bar. She's been named one of the hundred most creative people in business by Fast Company, featured on Fortune's magazine's 40 Under 40 list, Marie Claire's most fascinating women, and covered in Inc. magazine's How I Did This Issue. Recently, Inc. magazine recognized her as one of the hundred women building America's most innovative and ambitious businesses. Allie has also been featured as a guest on Shark Tank. Love that show. Yay, we're so excited to have her here today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for that intro. It's so nice when someone reads all that stuff about you. They're like, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've done some shit, it sounds like. <laughs> Get it, girl. Well, before we start, hi, this is Christine here. We do our weekly catch-up, and we thought it would be fitting to talk about some hair topics. Um, there's the whole thing with dry shampoo versus washing your hair. Um, and I don't color my hair, so I find that my hair is super, super slimy. I guess that's gross after like one day of not washing it. So I always wonder though, with all the dry shampoo I have to put in my hair to make it not greasy, should I just, just wash it? Even if it's just with water sometimes in like a conditioner, I've heard that's even better than just, you know, stripping it with shampoo, or is it better to pile on that dry shampoo? What do you girls think? Well, you're talking to somebody who up until a couple hours ago, when I actually had my ceremonious shower day, I was like, oh, is it Wednesday already? I was like basically half hair, half dry shampoo, like at that point in the week. So I'm definitely a dry shampoo proponent. And I think that um, dry bars smells better than anyone's, to be perfectly honest. I've been like an obsessive fan of it for a long time. But I think that whenever I do like a segment on, on dry shampoo, I've done a lot of segments about like how you can go right from the gym into your everyday life. And I always get more DMs than any like about oh my God, I've never been able to master dry shampoo. Like I feel like a lot of people don't get how it works because there is like a method to it. Ali, is that, is that true? Like there's like a method to using it right, right? Yeah, I, it's in, I don't know if it's so much of the method as most people do it wrong um, because no one's ever like shown them. Um, it's really pretty simple. I mean, the, the, the general rule of thumb is to like spray it um, three to four inches from your head, which is like about here. Most people spray it like within an inch of their scalp, which is going to give you like a circle of dry shampoo. It's not what we want. It's almost like the same theory of spraying like perfume. You know, it's like we, we spritz perfume like on our wrists or our neck. So it like covers, you know, a lot of area. It's like the same thing with dry shampoo. But the other big important part of dry shampoo is like you want to like lift and spray. Like you don't ever want to spray spray like right on your head, directly onto your scalp. It's more of like a lift and spray technique all over the, the, your scalp. So that's what most people don't, those two things I think are what most people mess up with dry shampoo. But to answer your question about dry shampoo versus watching, washing it, and the reason that your hair is, I would use the word soft and gets like oily quicker than rather than slimy, because I know what you mean. If you have like <laughs> hair, like, you know, 
like me, like I color my hair. I mean, I, co- I color it for the gray and then I highlight it. And um, so my hair doesn't get quite as oily as fast as someone who doesn't have any like color treated hair because color treated hair changes the cuticle of your hair. And that's like a whole other nerdy conversation. But with dry shampoo, um, it is good to to spray dry shampoo in your hair. I believe anyways, that, you know, it's good, bad, who knows? I think it's good to use dry shampoo and then what happens though, inevitably in our hair is our hair starts to feel dry from all the dry shampoo. So, you know, it's best for the scalp, but then I, every night and every morning, like religiously, and I swear it's helped my hair grow recently is I put like, um, our treatment oil or whatever oil you have in your house, like through like my mid shaft and ends before I go to sleep at night. And when I wake up in the morning, cause it hydrates your hair sometimes it's, or like a dry conditioner is good too. But I just, because my hair is blonde and bleached on the ends, I like to put in oil cause that hydrates the ends. Cause the, the dry shampoo does travel down a little bit and then your, your hair ends up feeling dry. And then that doesn't feel good either. But I, I'm a big, fan of not washing your hair very often mm-hmm. and still letting some of those natural oils come in, but like just putting dry shampoo on the areas people see, you know, in which the, you know, the beauty of all being on zoom right now is you can't really tell. So this is Heidi and I'm like Christine, like my hair ever since I was a little girl and my hair was like white when I was a little girl, I looked like a photo negative, you know, like dark yeah. skin and like white, white hair. And you could see my like white teeth. Like, so, so my hair is naturally very light. And I was told by a hairdresser and maybe she was just lying to make something up. Who knows, Allie, you would know better that the lighter the hair, the more porous it is. So the more oily it gets. I don't know if that's true. I don't really know if it's like, if your hair naturally grows out white, if that makes it more porous than someone well, doesn't anymore, but it just, yeah. if like a natural blonde have more porous hair than a natural brunette. I don't really know the answer to that question. What I do know for a fact is that hair that's bleached or color treated becomes more porous because what basically happens back to the nerdy thing is like the hair cuticle opens up and that allows like, and that, that roughing up of the cuticle is what makes hair look frizzy have like, you know, which in some cases is good because if you're somebody, you know, like that has really fine hair that it just falls really flat, then you go out and color and bleach it. It actually like roughs up the cuticle, which it's technically not a good thing, but it does give you volume because, you know, I don't know if you ever noticed anybody who, you know, bleaches their hair. Once I, when I get my hair colored, it's much fuller for the first like week or two because the hair cuticles all roughed up. And once it starts to calm down and relax and soften back up, the softness like kind of almost weighs it down. My nerdy fun fact about dry shampoo is that it was originally developed and used in hospitals for patients who were bedridden yeah. and couldn't take showers. So that's the origins of dry shampoo. And it also used to, I mean, I used, when I was a kid, I used, I used baby powder, you know, which is yep. really the, the main ingredient in all dry shampoos. It's the main ingredient in ours. You know, it's now it's like finely milled and there's fragrance and it's, it's better than it was, but that is, yeah, that's very true. Are you supposed to shake it out? Like, when I, I spray it in and then you have that white residue and then I kind of like, yes, I, I toss 100%. my head over. Okay. I always tell people like, you're right. I didn't say that when I was giving you my lit, you know, it's like lift spray. And then like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's like shake, I guess it's like kind of do that. You know, I know people. That's like a song, lift, shake. Like I feel Instead like of bend and snap. <laughs> <laughs> Dry shampoo jam. I like that. All right. So Heidi here, let's get into the topic. So If anyone was raised anything like me, you may have been brought up to believe that talking about money is gauche, not ladylike, and certainly not something that we learn about anywhere, anytime. But here's the thing. 
in this day and age when women can supposedly have it all, how are we ever going to get it all if we don't even know how to ask for funding for our new amazing business venture? Allie Webb once called herself, quote, a walking advertisement for the underachiever, end quote. I got that off of an interview you did with Megyn Kelly on NBC. <laughs> I don't even remember that interview, but I don't remember saying that, but it does sound like something I think. And I like watch it three times to make sure I didn't word you wrong. <laughs> and yet just over a decade ago with two young children, Allie founded Drybar, which has exploded into a nationally recognized and highly sought after brand with 150 plus locations. Allie recently sold the product division to Helen of Troy for $255 million dollars cool change. She launched another company, Squeeze, as well as her own podcast, Raising the Bar, which is all about getting real about entrepreneurship. So we want to get real on entrepreneurship with Allie. So Allie, how on earth did you go from being a self-proclaimed underachiever to business mogul? And how did you learn how to build your empire? Well, that would take a long time, but I mean, you know, the broad strokes are, first of all, I was raised in an entrepreneurial environment. My parents had their own business growing up and, um, you know, my, my older brother and I were always very close and my brother really was like the overachiever in the family. And my brother was like, nobody, nobody nowadays knows this, this reference with Alex P. Keaton. Did anybody on this? Of course, family ties. You guys know, but your listeners may not. It was a very popular show in like the 80s, I guess. And it was, you know, about like this. It was such a great show. But anyways, Michael J. Fox, also probably most people don't know, played Alex P. Keaton. He's this overachiever, super smart businessman as a kid, basically. And that's how my brother was. And my brother was like, you know, like very, everybody's very excited to see what my brother would do with his life. And he, he really like, he's super smart, intuitively, just a smart businessman. And even like started, you know, businesses when he was still in high school and, you know, and I was just kind of like floating along and, and doing my thing. And I wanted to be a professional tennis player for a long time. And I was very serious in tennis. And, you know, I was just like kind of jumped from thing to thing. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I also grew up in South Florida where my, my naturally very curly hair was even like, you know, bigger than you, than, oh, it was terrible. And I, and that was always like the common thread for me is I didn't love my hair. And that was really what kind of set me on this hair journey. And so I became a hairstylist. I, you know, I worked in hair salons. I loved it. And, um, and I thought I always wanted to do that. And it wasn't until I, you know, became a stay at home mom and, you know, I'd gotten married and, and had two kids and my kids were probably about I don't know, two and four, um, when I got the itch to get back out there, do something for myself again. And that's when I started my mobile blow dry business, because at this point I had been doing hair for 10 plus years and I could do blowouts in my sleep. And I thought, you know, that my entrepreneurial kind of brain kicked in and was like, what can I do on my own time, make my own money, set my schedule so I can still pick up my kids and do what I need to do. Um, and something I love. And that for me was like blow drying hair. I always loved while, while I cut hair for many years in the salon, I loved getting through the haircut so I could do the blowout because that to me was when the hair really came to life. So this was just always a deep love and passion that I, you know, I, I turned into my own career. I loved personally, like I lose complete track of time whenever I'm doing my hair. Cause I just like really enjoy the process and whatever. So I started this mobile blow dry business, which is really a way to get out of the house you know, get away from the kids for a couple of hours, make a little extra cash, which I don't think I actually was because I was only charging $40 to go from house to house. And, you know, and that was in in LA and um, between gas and I don't think I actually made money, but 
it wasn't about money for me. It was about like doing something for myself again and getting out of the house. And, um, and so I very quickly realized there was this pretty massive hole in the marketplace. And when I would ask my clients, you know, if I can't come to your house to your blowout, what do you do? And the answer was like, usually always the same. Either I begrudgingly go to like the discount chain down the street where like, there's a kid getting a haircut, the experience sucks, variable pricing, all the bad things, or I go to my regular salon and then I end up paying a hundred dollars for a blowout. And like, there, I was like, there's no good option here. And so I went to my brother overachiever, Michael, and said, Hey, you know, and he'd been watching my mobile business. My mobile business had gotten very busy, by the way, I was actually having to say no more than I was saying yes. And so, um, I said, I think I should turn my mobile business into a brick and mortar. Will you help me? You know, not only financially, but like, I need your help running a business. Cause I had never really run a business at that point. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think this is a good idea. My now ex-husband, Cam, who's just a creative genius, thought it was a great idea. And I think as an advertising guy, just thinks everything is a bad idea. He thought it was a great idea. And so, you know, the three of us kind of set out to develop this brand, um, you know, and and so, you know, I mean, and, the, you know, I could go on and on, but basically it was like, you know, kind of finding an untapped market almost inadvertently, you know, it was like, I just think there's enough women in LA, just, just the women I was basically serving and anybody I talked when I talked to them about it and said, Hey, I'm thinking about starting an actual location where instead of me coming to you, you come to me and just do blowouts, no cuts, no color, just blowouts. And they were like, it's fucking genius. You should do that. And of course, most men were like, what, 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 what's a blowout. And you know, I've got so much of that. And it was really like, it was just about opening that one shop and that just becoming like my livelihood. Like I would now, I wasn't really making any money in the mobile business. So, you know, but if I opened a brick and mortar, we, I, we could probably make a little bit more money. I could have like a place to go every day, pick up my kids from school. And like, that was it, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't this cramped plan to open a less locations. It was just to do something I loved in a space I love. And then, you know, we very quickly realized that like we had, kind of inadvertently stumbled upon this pretty massive opportunity and it was kind of ours to, to grow and build and potentially mess up and all those things. And that's, you know, my brother then quit his job, he was running a real estate marketing company at the time. Um, and, you know, we joined forces to do this, you know, full time and to really like make this a thing. And that was 10 years ago. The brands that I have seen succeed so you know, incredibly from day one are the brands that know their true core brand DNA, like from the get-go. And I don't think any brand I've ever experienced exemplifies that better than Dry Bar. Can you tell me a little bit about that for you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such an interesting, I mean, what an education, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in the throes right now of starting a new business, which I haven't announced that I'm very excited about, but it's like, when I think about all the things I learned um, and like, I, I didn't know anything really about starting a business. I mean, I knew, I knew a couple of pillars from, from what I learned from my parents and just like being out in the world, you know, it's like my parents were like so big on customer service and this, that philosophy of like the customer is always right. No matter what the customer is King. And that is just, you treat people how you want to be treated. All of that stuff was just embedded in me and my brother. So that was like our guiding light, you know? And then it was like, so I knew that and I knew hair and I knew salon. So I had that kind of under control. Um, and I, I get, I really think that's a core of the business. Plus, you know, to your point, like the branding and the experience, which I didn't know that as well. You know, my parents for as great as their businesses were, there wasn't like, 
I mean, there were some things that created a great experience, but that was something I kind of learned as we went. And, you know, Cam, my ex-husband, you know, he, he created this brand and I didn't even like, I, I don't even think I ever used the word brand. Like it didn't even occur to me. Like it wasn't, this was also 10 years ago. Um, and when I think about brands to compare it to, it's like Sprinkles Cupcakes or Starbucks and In-N-Out. And those are just like so massive and conglomerate and successful that you don't even like, you know, we weren't like, I wasn't like using, comparing ourselves to them, but those were brands that like, you could like off the top of your head, think of brands that you know, and you love. It's like a couple of those, right? Or like, And so when Cam was, Cam was really developing the brand because that was his expertise. Mine was hair. Michael's was business, um, you know, and it was like this very strong point of view. And obviously dry bar is known for its yellow, but the website was dark gray. And <laughs> I remember people saying just in the beginning, like, this is not a very like female focused colors and brand. And Cam was like, who cares? Like we can make this whatever we want. And we knew that working with our architect, we wanted the shops. I wanted the shops to feel very like almost like a boudoir, like white and chic and, you know, sophisticated for women. But basically the, the secret sauce to creating a great brand is creating all of that stuff, like amazing customer service, you know, branding through and through. I mean, I assume, I'm hoping most of you guys have been in a dry bar and you know that like you walk in and there's a certain smell, you go to the bathroom. It's super cute. Like there's so many little touch points. And I mean, I certainly can't take credit for all of that stuff. I mean, a handful of those things that you discover in dry bar, as we like to call them surprise and delights are things I thought of. Some are my brother, some are, some are our architects, some are cam, but they all, it's all a very, very cohesive experience from the website to the booking, to the, when you walk in the shop to when you leave the shop and all of that stuff really matters. And you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by a couple of people who understood that. And, you know, we all we all played very different roles and it just all really matters, you know, to your point, Jamie. Oh, I was just going to say, we just realized actually that the entire like inception of the idea for this podcast came one day when we were all at dry, a dry bar together. Aww. Thank you for literally building our entire brand. Totally. Well, you know, that's so funny because it, it really, I didn't, I mean, I guess maybe intuitively I thought that, but it's, it, it was, it's, it was such a beautiful thing for me. And it's just, it's been so sad in this like pandemic, even when we were able to open again, it's like so much of the beauty of dry bar and you can just sit there and watch it, how girls walk in and women walk in and they see their friend and then they're like, oh, and then they sit together and sometimes they come together, but sometimes they just run into each other. And it's just like, you know, it, it's so to me reminiscent really probably what I've seen more on TV is like, you know, like our grandmothers and our grandmothers, grandmothers, like going to the beauty parlor together and having this experience. And, you know, it was just, and this is obviously like a modernized version of that. And half the women are sitting in dry bar on their laptops and it's just kind of like, there's something for everybody, but um, I, you know, it's nice. It's really nice to hear that. I think probably a lot of like people have come together sitting in those chairs. I was going to say um, before when you were talking about working together. And so how is that actually like it seems seamless on your end, but with your brother and your husband and the whole family team working together, was it as seamless as it seems or, you know, how does that work? I mean, it for the most part was really great. I mean, there was my brother and I had worked together in another lifetime before we had I had figured out it even pre-beauty school when I thought I wanted to work in fashion. And we both worked for Nicole Miller for a little while in New York City. And then back, we opened up stores back in South Florida where we were raised. And 
we almost killed each other in that endeavor. And I, but, but thank God for that, because it really taught us so much about what not to do. And we were young and stupid and, and inexperienced and all of that. And we weren't doing something we really loved, or at least I certainly wasn't. So that experience really informed so much of like what would become our new relationship. And there, there were a lot of like these like really in-depth conversations about like what it can't be. I mean, like from my side and from his side and, you know, but I think ultimately the, 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 the big thing was that there's so much respect for each other. It's like everyone really knew their lane. You know, Michael was like dealing with like landlords and leases and spreadsheets and all the shit I hate. I was, you know, very much keyed into like the experience in the shop, training the stylist, like everything for in the shop. And, and Cam was really responsible for all the branding and creative and design. And, you know, and then our architect, Josh was, you know, the, was, was creating the actual space. So there wasn't a lot of overlap. And I think that that to me feels like probably the, the beauty and the importance of like a good partnership, whether it's family or not, is that everyone kind of is really clear on their roles and responsibilities, which doesn't mean like we all talked about everything. And if things ever came down, which I really can't even remember it happening, like came down to like, we all disagreed. It would, it would be eventually, it would be ultimately the person whose lane it is to make that decision because, you know, and so that's kind of how we, we dealt with things, but but ultimately, like we just we were, you know, Cam and I really trusted Michael and still do to this day when it's like something that's like feels out above our heads that we don't understand or, you know, and, and creatively, Michael always trusted Cam and, and, you know, vice versa all around. So I think that's why the level of respect was so high between all of us. I think that's why it really worked. Was the stress of running the business part of what was so hard on the marriage and ultimately sort of led to that demise? Yeah, I mean, yes, for sure, yes. But it was I mean, the the dry bar was a great distraction, <laughs> you know. Um, and you know, Cam and I had a lot of um, things that weren't right. And we met when we were very young. You got married very young, and then realized that, like, you know, it was the marriage was a little bit harder than we thought it was going to be. Um, and you know, there was a lot of things that were already problematic, but the um, you know, and then we had the kids. And so the kids were a distraction. You have we were two boys, right? Two boys who are now 13 and 16. Oh my God. Like teenagers. No. I can't believe I was a 16 year old. And they probably smell and drink a lot of milk or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely smell. Um, but, uh, but they're just amazing. They've, they have the best hair, both of my boys. I mean, right now, and when they were little, I always kept their hair long and then they went through, you know, like, weird sports phases and cut it. And now it's long again. I love it. Um, but you know, so it was like, then it became all about, we, we had our first son a year into our marriage, you know, so it like immediately became about that. Um, and, and our kids and raising our kids and you, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are moms, but, um, yes, you know, it's like your kids just take up all the, all the space, all the oxygen. And so it was that. And then when they were only two and four, it decided to start this dry bar thing. And then of course, then that took over my life. And so, you know, we were on this like rocket ship and it was really exciting and it was really fun. And we building it all together. And so like, I wasn't really, I was so entrenched in my new life and this, like building this company. And I was like in love with it, like, you know, really in love with it. And so I didn't really pay a lot of attention to what was happening in my marriage, you know? And I think that's why obviously it seems pretty clear in retrospect, you know, when things, you know, we're 10 plus years in and, you know, over the last, like, I'd say five, seven years, I started to like step out a little bit more on the business and, and not be as in, in the daily weeds. And I'm not really much today at all. And, um, 
you know, we, we got divorced two years ago and it was in, and it was when things started to kind of calm down and settle down that I was like, Oh shit, you know, and realized that there was a lot of things that weren't working in my marriage. And like, I had to like figure that out. And I, you know, I wasn't so distracted anymore the way I had been. It does seem just from social media and, and have following along on your journey that it was sort of an amicable breakup yeah. and that you guys really are still partners. It was, I mean, it was amicable. It was an e- the beginning wasn't easy. Um, I think you don't know what you are walking in. It's just like, you don't know when you're walking into a new business, a new marriage or a new separation. Um, it was like, I mean, I did not realize, I mean, I, it was so hard. It was so hard and sad and depressing. And it was like, oh my God, I'm a single mom. And, and him too, like, oh my God, I'm a single dad. And I don't have this partner and this person and shit, I have to deal with the kids alone. And, you know, and it was like, we both were really struggling and finding our way in it. And, and there was anger and there was frustration. And it took us, I would say, a good year to like get to a good point. We've been, we've been divorced now two years and now we're in like a great place. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about this, but my, my 16 year old went through a really tough year last year and spent really a year, like basically in treatment. And I was dealing with anxiety and depression and drugs and things that he had been through. And, um, and he's, we've talked about it. He's okay with me talking about it. Uh, he actually wants me to talk about it because he, because it is this like stigma thing. Um, and, and as hard as that also was, <laughs> it was like such a double whammy. Um, it also opened up, it was such a blessing in disguise because it opened up a lot of dialogue with, with Cam and I, cause like we kind of had to deal with this thing that Grant was going through and then ultimately our other son. And so we, we, we were such an evolved family now. Um, and we're really like, you know, I, I have a very serious boyfriend that I live with. He has a girlfriend. We have, we've, we all spent Thanksgiving together. We've spent Christmas together. It's like, you know, we've come quite a long way in two years and Cam and I, you know, do therapy together, just him and I to really just to, to deal with the kids. And, um, and so we're, we're quite evolved and I'm like, I'm so proud of where we are now, but, um, you know, it was, it was like a year of like, you know, quite literally face down and like really trying to like pick myself up and figure out which way to go. And, but you know, it's part of the day. Well, it's like a death. I mean, it's like you're grieving this loss of this relationship. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to turn the cable on without my husband. Like I realize how inept I am in certain ways because I've become, I've been a part of a team for 15 years. Yeah, me too. We were 16 years and, and I felt the same way. I was like, I, you know, I remember moving into a new house by myself and I was like, Fuck, there's so many things I don't know how to do because he's always done them, you know? And I was lucky enough to lean on like, you know, our, our contractor, this guy, Dean, who does all our stuff. I, I called him like 1600 times. I was like, Dean, can you come put this together? Can you come do this? And, you know, I leaned on people that I, you know, cause I was just me and it, it, it is hard and it is a hundred percent a death, but I wouldn't also, <laughs> I was so in denial about that. And I was like, it's not a death. He's alive. I'm alive. We're good. You know, but it was, it was somebody, so many people said that to me, but it, it took me a long time for that to penetrate. And once I realized like I'm going through a, a death and a grieving, grieving process. And this is part of it. I was like, okay, you know, and then I, I, you know, slowly started to get back on my feet. And also as women, we're also used to, you know, taking so much on and being in charge and I got this, I got this, but it seems like you were okay with asking for some help. And I know all of us here um, on our team, we are the same way. Like we always, we, we can all do this, but we don't have a problem saying like, okay, guys, I need help for this one for a second. And that's important to recognize. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I leaned on a lot of people during that time. You know, I was like, I, I mentioned Dean because he's just, he felt like family to me. He's built all our stores. He's been around dry bar since day one. He's this really sarcastic, funny British dude. And I love him. He's like family. And, you know, and then there, then there was my girlfriends and, you know, there was like, you know, Brittany, who's my, who's our co-founder of Squeeze, who, you know, runs Squeeze and she used to run marketing at Dry Bar. Her and I are dear friends. And, you know, there was nights that I would like, I came home, I remember like, this is so weird and random, but like, I came home one night and my garage door was open in my house and I was like, shit. And we got to go inside alone. And I called Brittany and her and her husband came over and like walked through the house with me because I was scared. You know, it's like those those like friendships, like, yeah, you got to lean on those people. And they were like very, very there for me. And I had a handful of people like that. And you'd be surprised when people kind of come out of the woodwork when you're in that stage of your life. That's wonderful. And I think they're very transferable skills between uh, it sounds like a lot of this is what you've learned from probably building the business and you're continuing to use it to operate in your life. So if we could just take a step back for one minute, because I know that our, our topic today is really around kind of being this, this boss bitch, right? Which we know you are. So I want to just like take a step back because, um, I feel like the, the only the only step we missed talking about was like, okay, so one minute you had this one brick and mortar location because it was like a great idea because you love doing hair. And then like you sold the business for $255 million. I feel like there's a couple steps in the that middle. That was just the product <laughs> business, Jane, not even sell, selling dry bar. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Totally. So can you talk about scaling? Can you talk about knowing your worth, owning, owning shit and owning your own kind of like putting a voice to your power? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such an evolution for me. And when we start, first started dry bar, you know, I remember, well, when we first started dry bar, it was just like us, you know, kind of figuring it out as we went. And, um, and then once we brought in like, uh, you know, private equity and a private equity partner and, and, you know, institutional money, and then we had a board and we, you know, started having all these meetings and, you know, I I've talked about this before, but in those early like board meetings, I, I was really, really intimidated because the guys in our, you know, Castanea, which was our private equity company, they, they were like, they'd gone to like Harvard and Stanford and I didn't even go to college. And I felt so, you know, intimidated. Like I didn't measure up somehow in these meetings until, you know, I was, so I used to just text my brother and say, you know, and ask a question that I was embarrassed to ask to the whole group, you know, for, you know, for fear of being, of, you know, being, called out and not being smart and not seeming smart enough, you know, and every time I would do that, my brother would always say, that's a good question. You should ask it. And it never failed, you know? And so he really helped give me the confidence to start using my own voice and getting comfortable in that. And so it was those, you know, those early days of like, if, you know, finding my sea legs in this business and realizing, wait a second, I am really smart. I may not have gone to college and I don't have the pedigree that these guys have, or a lot of people I'm in meetings with, but I, 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 you know, to, to your point of stepping into my own shoes and my own power of like realizing like, Hey, I have this idea and I may not be as like book smart as these guys, but I know what I'm doing. And I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, and I'm, and I, I say it all the time. Like, I don't think I'm usually the smartest person in the room, but I'm scrappy and I'm, I, I can adapt really easily. And I, I'm a pretty quick study and, you know, and so I can hold my own, but it did take me time to, to, to learn how to flex that skill. And I imagine it's different for everybody and there's, you know, everyone has to learn that, but I, I do think that it, it is important 
you know, for people like me and people in my, you know, founders of companies and people who've done, you know, really awesome things to like speak out on that. Like we don't know, not, we don't always know what we're doing and we are figuring it out along the way. And we do have to ask for help and we do have to lean on people. And I mean, that, that transparency of like, I don't know all the answers and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'm going to do the wrong thing sometimes is okay. You know, that you can, you can be successful in spite of that. That's great advice to not be afraid to make mistakes and not be afraid to ask questions. How would you, what advice would you have in terms of, I mean, it's hard because it seems like your team stemmed from your family. So they were a little built in, but what would advice would you give to other female entrepreneurs looking to build their team? Like your brother and your ex, you know, like what, what should they look for? I love that question, particularly now, because I am in the throes of like starting and launching a new business and it's not with family and it's with, you know, I haven't really publicly talked about it. And it's like weird to talk about something other than dry bar, but it is a, it's a completely different business. It's not in the beauty space. And, um, you know, this was just like, uh, you know, this woman that I had discovered, it was doing something great. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is a great like idea but it needs a brand built around it. And there's needs like a lot more things that she wasn't doing. Um, but, you know, she and I really hit it off and she really, um, you know, loved my ideas and what I had to bring to it. And I really love what she's doing. And so, you know, we have formed this partnership and, um, and there, there is a certain, I think like chemistry that you have to look for. And it's like, you know, that was a year ago that we first started talking and I started, you know, and within a couple of months, I started throwing the idea around of us like joining forces. And it was a, it was a long like courting period, I would say of like, let me figure out if this is the right person and what, you know, how we're going to handle like conflict and not agreeing on things and all of those things. And so, you know, for like a year, we've been going back and forth and like over this idea of what, of this thing we want to do. And, you know, and I realized over that course of time that this will be a good partner for me and I will be a good partner for her because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, and then, you know, as we've moved along, you know, I realized like, I need, we needed somebody else to come in and help with like the stuff that like, I don't like doing that. I'm not good at like, you know, spreadsheets and managing operations and that kind of stuff. Like, I just don't like that stuff. It doesn't really appeal to me. I'm not good at it. So, you know, I had to bring in somebody else to help with that, you know, and that's um, so uh, somebody else who, who worked for me for a long time that I know and I trust. And so, you know, it's, I think that's how you do it. And that's, you know, and so in this case, and I'm sure I will end up talking about this a lot more publicly that, you know, it's not my family. This is just somebody who I really trust. And I've, you know, we, we realized like we could really work together. Well, you know, we'll see how, see how it goes. <laughs> I want it to be about your layered necklaces. I've had a slight <laughs> obsession with your layered necklaces the entire podcast. <laughs> when can you tell us more about that new endeavor? Um, Okay, so it is a jewelry business. No way! Yes. Oh my gosh, stop it! That's so funny. Yeah, I've been obsessing over that. your necklaces the whole time. Yeah. No, I I have like become very obsessed with jewelry in the last couple of years. It's just almost like a hobby. I mean, if you saw like my jewelry boxes, I mean, I just like I I you know really developed this love of jewelry and. Meredith Quill, who's my business partner, she had, she's a mom of three. She used to be an actress. Um, and she started, her grandmother was like a big, like jewelry person and really introduced her to jewelry and was like always wearing great jewelry. And it really inspired Meredith as a kid. And, you know, she always like had this great love of jewelry. And so 
you know, she became a, like a mom and she started just making jewelry for herself and wearing it. And whenever she would wear people, inevitably her friends would be like, oh my God, what is that? I want that. And ask her where she got it. And she's like, oh, I made it. I'll make you one. And, you know, and so off she started run, making jewelry for her friends and starting this little business. And so she's just like cracking along. She's got her own little, like, it's a very like, you know, her own Instagram and an Etsy shop or something she's selling her stuff on and like making a nice little, you know, living for herself. And, um, and, you know, and, and I was sent one of her pieces, um, through a friend and I, I had noticed a girlfriend was wearing this bracelet that I loved and I asked where it was from and it was from Meredith Quill. And then, so I, 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 I reached out to get one and I, you know, wanted to pay, but she offered to send it to me. And, um, and then, I ended up like looking around and seeing all her stuff. And I really loved all of her stuff. And I was like, man, you have such a good eye. Um, I think this is such a great little brand. And But the real, the real point of difference is that, you know, she can make stuff that looks and feels very high end, but doesn't cost as much by doing things like gold fill and using like um, a white sapphire instead of a diamond and stuff that you wouldn't know. Cause like, yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, not all of this stuff is hers, but like a couple pieces are, um, you know, this black heart is kind of a thing that will be a success. Um, <laughs> um, and so I'm looking at her stuff and I'm like saying, Oh, I can buy a necklace for like a, a really beautiful, cute necklace for a hundred bucks. It's like a quick pick me up versus spending like 500 or a thousand dollars on it when you lose it. And it, whatever happened, might not be a piece you want to wear in two years. So I was like, man, this is a great little business and it's direct to consumer and there's no brick and mortar. I'm pumped. I've legit been staring at your neck. Megan, I just looked up Meredith on, and there's a lightning bolt. Lightning bolt earrings. Stop it. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. Like these little heart earrings are hers. I mean, I have, you know, I have so many piercings. I I have so much jewelry. And so I, I looked at her and I was like, this is a great business, but we need a brand and we need a better name. We can't, I mean, I love Meredith, but we can't call it Meredith Quill. And then if, you know, first we were going to call it Quill. And then we ended up calling it in the name of the company is Beckett and Quill. Beckett is her grandmother's maiden name. Oh, I love that. Is, so great, right? Amazing. So, um, and Cam, my ex-husband, did all has rebranded it, did all the branding. I mean, then wait till you see it. It's so good. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. When is it? February first, um, which is you know right in time for like Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Yeah. So keep yeah. us all in touch. We'll Love all that. help promote. Oh, I'm so excited. Now I know what I'm asking for from my hubby. <laughs> doing is like, and, and we'll have to figure out how to push this out more, but on the website, you know, because Meredith gets so many calls from her, she's got a nice little client base and she gets so many calls from husbands saying, Hey, my wife's birthday is next week. Can you get, get her something? Cause the, cause Meredith already knows what his, what his wife likes. So we're going to have something on the website where you can go in and you can fill in your, the date of like your anniversary, your birthday, whatever for, you know, or you can just send the link to your husband and he can fill it out and then we'll send an email Perfect. like you should have and saying, Hey, so-and-so's birthday or your anniversary is next is two weeks from now. Let us send you some, some options. And that's something that's we brilliant. want to tap like will be getting that link. Yes. <laughs> we know husband hotline. Or, you know, wives and whoever. So, um, yeah, it's a really, it's really feels like a passion project. You know, it's, um, and, and it is, it is a new business with, you know, just, you know, me and like, taking a leap of faith. And we, you know, so my podcast raising the bar, which I do with Adrian, who's my new boyfriend, who I mentioned, we actually just interviewed her Meredith and talked about, which was, I can't wait for that episode to launch too, because it's not only did we talk about the business and how it really came to be and 
but we, but her and I both talked about things that we hadn't talked about before um, together on the podcast, which is really fun. And, um, you know, it's part of what I love about doing the podcast with Adrian, you know, raising the bar is so fun. And um, we're going to continue to have her come back on. And so we can talk through the different stages of, of growing a business. And now I am building a business that's not with family. So it's a whole other, you know, whole new ball game. And what is your role with your other, are you like kind of on the board? Like what, like, does that take up a lot of bandwidth? Like what's that all about? Yeah. I mean, you know, with dry bar, I'm, I haven't been in the day to day for a long time. I still like kind of oversee very, very peripherally on product, but you know, we sold product and I'm, I'm still involved, but not, not very heavily. And I am on the board still of dry bar and I'm still, you know, you know, I feel like, well, especially now just with everything going on, we have so many board calls and trying to, you know, figure out how to navigate this crazy world we're living in. And I'm on the board of squeeze and um, squeeze is near and dear to my heart is, you know, my brother's kind of my more my brother's brainchild, but similar in that, you know, there was two bad choices. Like you go to a high end spa and pay a gajillion dollars for a massage or you go to like the crappy discount chain and it's like the experience is off. So squeeze kind of goes right in the middle and it has like the same branding and you can book on the app, tip on the app, you do everything on the app. And um, so I'm, I'm excited for the world to open back up because that's also something that appeals to men and women. Um, and so, yeah, I sit on the board of that and we have a couple other businesses that are in the works as well that are kind of under this umbrella, you know, with that, I get those, I can't really can't talk about yet. Those are going to launch their brick and mortars and they're probably assuming the world opens back up. will launch in 2021 20, or 20. well, Westfield, New Jersey. If you want to open anything I'm the <laughs> chief spirit officer here, I'll promote the hell out of it. <laughs> I appreciate that, but it is fun. You know, I'm, I'm in this like very interesting time in my life where I'm able to like, you know, kind of figure out what's next for me, what I want to be doing in this little, you know, Beckett and Quill jewelry business is definitely a lot of where my heart is at right now. I'm also writing my second book, which is like a memoir of like my whole life story. So wow, so much so going on. So you're really just uh, picking back and eating bonbons. <laughs> totally. That's amazing. Well, I love this. We love you. We are so grateful you were here with us today. We always wrap up our show with two quick little segments. So I'm going to start. The first one is a lightning round. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Morning or evening workout? Morning. Always. What is your favorite workout? <sighs> I think it's like... I, I mean, is walking count as a workout? I probably walk times sure. a day. I really love, I walk and like check email, listen to podcasts. Like I'm probably on a walk two to three times a day. Well, that's really good advice because it kind of also breaks up the energy. I feel like when I sit in one place for too long, I feel crazy, but that's just me. Maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> or cranky, like on a walk. I love it. And then last but not least, coffee, tea, or matcha? Coffee. So much coffee. <laughs> Love that and feel that. So our very last segment is called Karma Call. All right. Megan just says it with a lot of exuberance, but I'm the yogi. Oh, so I'll explain that um, karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests, what is one actionable item that someone could take, say, every day for like a week or two, a small action yield giant result. Huh. I'm trying to think of something that I've been doing. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's part of me that feels like meditation and, and I'm like spotty with that. And, but, you know, I'll tell you the thing that is probably, I, I take like only like five minutes every day, probably just to stretch. And as a yogi person, <laughs> 
appreciate that. I'm not, I mean, I've, I've gone through phases where I've done a lot of yoga. I'm currently not in one, but there is something really like magical to me about like about stretching. I will spend at least five minutes a day like stretching. And I feel like that's, an, you know, and I'll go into like downward dog and do it, you know, a yoga pose or two, but I just the act of stretching, like cracking my back. I don't, I feel like that sounds weird, but that is something that is like, you know, you know, with the leg over the other leg, that is like, it's set. It's like, I feel like it aligns me and resets me for the day. I do it every morning. So that's probably. I love that. Look, especially in these like quarantine times, just getting down and like connecting with your body and having a good stretch. What better advice than that? Right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. We are so excited for you and your new ventures and good luck. We'll be following along. We all want jewelry. And <laughs> do I say that out loud? And uh, to everybody at home, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast and subscribe to this show wherever podcasts are consumed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Yay. Thank you guys. This is thank so you. Fun. Thank, thank you. So much, I was, I-